What's going on, coaches? Hopefully you guys had a good week this week. Wanted to remind you guys that we've got a lot of stuff over on our website that you guys can check out, runthepower.com. Uh, we've got videos for RTP Premium. So we've got seven different series. We've got episodes on each of those series. We update those uh, monthly. We've also got our dojo that's open that we've had coaches coming in and talking football with us. Uh, we've got our RTP Summits, which is college and high school coaches across the country that come on and talk ball. Uh, we've got our merchandise, all of our RTP merchandise, and then, of course, all of our podcasts, all that over at runthepower.com. Also, several of our newer podcast episodes have been coming out on YouTube as well. We've been able to record those with all the negatives of COVID. Some of the positives is coaches are getting more comfortable with uh, the the software that we use, right? Zoom, which we've been using for years now, um, and recording some of these podcasts. So if you guys want to watch some of these podcasts, you guys can watch that on YouTube, runthepower.com, youtube.com slash runthepower. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a -a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is teambuilder.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us, if you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formation, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out just play is a limited time offer for rtp listeners only get my just play pro for 120 dollars, which is an unbelievable 60 dollars off the normal list price Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever you can get this deal at justplaysolutions.com slash rtp the best playbook tool on the market at justplaysolutions.com slash rtp don't wait go do it today on this episode of rtp we talk with tony johnson Coach Johnson is the head coach and AD at W.T. White High School in Dallas, Texas. Listen as we talk with Coach Johnson and his son Anthony, who is also a DB coach in Texas, about his new book they both wrote called Faith on the Field, The Pastoral Ministry of a Coach. We also talk about his philosophy coaching the offensive line and how to build successful run games in places he has been in the past. You can follow Coach Johnson on Twitter at KickSlide. Hope you guys enjoy. in Oklahoma your whole life tell me a little bit about yourself yep I grew up uh went to Broken Arrow my whole life um and then I went to the University of Houston played there for five years and then came right back to Broken Arrow and started coaching offensive line uh that's where I met Brady who just jumped on it looks like he was the offensive coordinator he was the offensive coordinator here when I first got here he moved up to Iowa with his wife um after one year uh, after I was there one year 
uh, and he's been up there in Des Moines, Iowa. So we were, you know, like I said, I've been everywhere. This is my son, Tony, by the way, and he helped me with the book. Um, and so we, I was actually the offensive coordinator of a tiny little town in Iowa called Lamoni. It's right on the Missouri border. And my recruiting area was Des Moines. Of course, I had um, in the, the whole Des Moines area, Decatur, all that. That was my recruiting area for little old Lamoni. <laughs> Is that Graceland, Coach? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep, they do. They do a really good job recruiting uh, our squad right now. They, they've they've got a couple of kids from Ankeny, and now they, they've offered two or three. So, yep, they're still still heavy up in Ankeny. Oh yeah. yeah. Even after I left Iowa, you know, we uh, when you're a young coach, you guys know this. I did a lot of camps. Iowa State. My son played for Dan McCarney. Did a lot of camps like Iowa State and KU and Nebraska. And, Tim Dwight and I became friends, and if you're from Iowa or been in Iowa, you know who Tim Dwight is, but Tim Dwight had the largest camp at Iowa City High School, and we would go up there, I don't know, seven, eight years in a row and do his camp, and it was, it was just a great time to see all those Iowa high school coaches, and that little program there is a, a good football, but was the Iowa City Little Hawks, so we did that camp, and I loved it. It was good. Yeah, he ran a huge one. Our our old DC actually at Broken Arrow, Coach Clink. Uh, he'd coached at Central Missouri, and he'd worked that camp a few times. I um, bet I know him. I bet I yeah, know him. I'm sure you, you've met him before. He's in Sand Springs now. And then uh, you talk about Iowa City, the the Little Hawks. They've they've kind of fallen off a little bit because now they've started to build. You know, like all the other places, they build more schools around there. So now there's actually three high schools. So oh wow, fell fell down a little bit. But yeah, Iowa City used to be big time powerhouse but like I said it's all kind of moved out to the suburbs a little bit now that's where McCarney went to high school too yeah good times man the game's taking me everywhere no doubt <laughs> well coach let's go ahead and get it rolling then so, yeah, so how we always how we always started is let you kind of introduce yourself um and, and you and your son can both both do that obviously um kind of introduce yourself as far as give everyone your uh, you know a little of your football journey. I know you already skipped around and, and gave us a little bit, but <laughs> kind of give everyone, you know, your football journey, you know, from playing to coaching and how that brought you to where you guys are now. You bet. Well, my name is Tony Johnson. Obviously I'm the head football coach, athletic director, at, uh, WT white uh, in Dallas. And uh, just completed my second year, getting ready to start year three. This is be, this will be my 27th year in coaching. Um, from a tiny, I shouldn't say tiny town, from a town called Olathe, Kansas, Overland Park area. Um, born and raised in Kansas City, played NAI football at a school called Mid-American Nazarene University. Uh, got into high school coaching, did that for three years, and thought that's all I'd ever be when I met a guy that hooked me up with a legendary coach named Dennis Francioni. At that point, Dennis had landed at TCU. I didn't even know where TCU was. Um, and so I, and next thing I know, I'm moving my family of, of wife and three kids to Fort Worth, Texas. Had an incredible couple uh, run there with those guys, Coach Ladanian Tomlinson, uh, two bowl games, just amazing friendships and amazing relationships. Left there and went to Texas A&M Kingsville, powerhouse at the D2 level down in South Texas. I was an NAI head coach myself at Bethany College, interim head coach, offensive coordinator at Graceland University in Iowa. And I've been a high school coach at a couple of prominent programs in Kansas. And I'm now on my third high school head coaching position in Texas. So that's a little bit about me. Married with four kids, uh, three labs and four kids. So <laughs> we got a packed house here. And then, of course, my son, Tony, right here. Yeah, so Tony as well. I'm, my real name 
Pimps Anthony go by Tony. So if that confuses you guys, we can, uh, we can, we can do Anthony and Tony. That makes it easier. But uh, no, I, I mean, I'm a product of that story. So I've moved around a lot um, and thankful, very thankful for that. But we, when we moved down to Texas, I was brought to a, what I would say is a, a well-known somewhat, oh, yeah. know, I wouldn't say powerhouse, but I mean, they're a, they're a good program down here. It's in South Grand Prairie High School, uh, right outside Dallas. And so I got to uh, play there, went on to play football. I walked on. And then I earned a scholarship at North Texas, University of North Texas, under uh, Coach Dan McCarney at the time when he was there, and uh, majored in film while I was there. So um, that's what I've been doing ever since is, like, film stuff. I write. I've got three other books that we've done other than uh, this one that we're talking about today. And then I also get to make indie films when I can. And then I'm a coach and teacher at Arlington Martin down here. And this is my – I'm going on my third year coaching. So it's a little bit about me. When did you when did you play at UNT? So I was there from 2012 to 2016. When did they open the new stadium? Was that 11? Yes. So I got Okay, I played I got I I got to be the first game uh, at the UNT at their new stadium. Uh oh, I think yeah, Houston, Houston played at, at North Texas. Yeah. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. So really really ask, nice stadium. Yes, yeah. So Roddy, I meant to ask you cuz you were at Houston. You, did you finish at Houston? Yes. Okay, so my you're going to laugh when I tell you this. My high school backup, the backup to me is Mikado Henson. Is it <laughs> so, really? Yeah. Mikado. You know Mikado? Yeah. Mikado's been on the podcast. Mikado married me and my wife in Houston. I'll be done. Uh-huh. Mikado and I are from, well, obviously went to high school together, and he's a year younger than and me. He's a, yeah. So when Nor- his freshman year, I think, or your redshirt freshman year, they went down to Houston, and I obviously traveled as much as I could. Year. Was that your freshman year? Yeah. And uh, I went with his brother, and we had a great time. We sat. You guys put the visitors. Um, we were right up against right, the wall. Right up against the wall behind the North Texas bench, but it's the student <laughs> section. And they were destroying these guys. And he had blonde <laughs> highlight tips. <laughs> and they were calling Brendan Walsh and a few other uh, derogatory names. Oh, well, I believe time, it. Halftime rolls around, and I see this guy. I hadn't talked to Mikado since 1994. And I look and I said, that looks like Mikado. And Mikado's an unusual name. So I just yelled it out. I go, Mikado. He turned around and he came over. We hugged. And I still have that picture in my phone. We're hugging. I'm leaning over the railing. So That is awesome. Great. Yeah, Mikado married me and my wife up at the University of Houston. Um, him, oh, and wow. his, him and his wife were – um, you know, when you go through that three-month period of, of learning, how do you, you know, become married before they, um, you know, want to marry you? And I forget what it's called. It's been so long now. But we did that with him and his wife. And um, he was – he left to Texas A&M before I graduated. But me and Mikado were really tight um, at, at the University of Houston. Yeah, that's so, great. So, Coach, you, you mentioned Coach Franchoni. Um, did you know then um, Chuck Broyles? Oh, yeah. Oh, very okay. much. Pittsburgh State. Yeah. Um, you know, I Chuck, think he worked with Franchoni before Franchoni left. And then, well, his son, it's just funny, we're all kind of inter- intertwined, it seems like. But his son is the other offensive line coach here at Broken Arrow, Mark Broyles. No way. Yeah. Wow. So, I'm sitting on a park bench outside Fresno State. We just got beat by Trent Dilfer and the Fresno State Bulldogs, and I'm waiting to get on the bus go to the airport, and then Kim Franchione sits next to me. Now, Dennis is a Kansan. Kim's a Kansan. So we had that natural bond. And I asked – we talked about a lot of things, and I asked her, I said, who are the three most important men 
that Dennis confides in because he's a very private guy. And she said, Rick Sinica, who you wouldn't know, but I, I coach Rick's son, and that's why I was there. And then he said, Jerry Kill, coach from, you know, Jerry Gill. And then he said, Chuck Rolls. Those are the three guys he calls weekly. And uh, what, a, what a great, great man he was. Yeah. But yeah, we get, we get, we're extremely lucky to get to be around and, and Chuck gets to come around all the time and, and watch the games. And so uh, I get to steal from him and hear all the stories that, that Mark, you know, tells about him and tells about being up at, uh, you know, up at the facilities and what a, what a really cool, you know, for, for Shark, uh, Mark, uh, what a cool story to, to have that be your dad and get to be around football all the time. That was, that's kind of me and, and Coach Wall's story and, and, uh, and Anthony, it sounds like your story kind of as well, but uh, my dad's a high school coach. He's been a coach, you know, forever. Coach Walls' dad was a football coach, and, and we've talked about it a bunch on here, but um, what a cool way to grow up, having your dad up at the football field, seeing all the, the older kids, and it's kind of what obviously propelled me uh, into doing what I'm doing, and, and hopefully, you know, my kid, my son, Jax, gets to uh, have as much fun as I did growing up, and now we've got an indoor facility, you know, we can't use it right now because of, of all the stuff. But, you know, if it's raining or it's cold or it's a weekend and he gets to go play football inside, you know, throw the football around. So didn't get a whole lot better than that growing up. Mm-hmm. No, doubt. No, no doubt. That's awesome. Well, I'm interested, you know, you, you guys, you know, wrote the book together. I'm interested to kind of hear, you know, your guys' takes about, you know, what, what brought that about. I'm sure, you know, it's probably part of that relationship of, you know, being around the game for so long and when your dad's into it you kind of get the the football bug you know I tried all the other sports too you know basketball baseball and and, and I always kept coming back to football which you know was kind of my dad's love to coach so I'm interested to hear your guys's kind of story as as to how the book came about and your guys's ideas behind that so as Tony mentioned he's a writer film major in college and he kind of I don't put words in his mouth but he kind of fought the whole do I want to coach? You know, I want to try to make this a success. And uh, at the same time, I'm not a writer. I'm a, I'm a coach and former history teacher. And um, the things that I do well, I would not put writing up there. And so <laughs> I approached him one day, probably almost four years ago. And I said, Hey, uh, I want to do a diary. I want to do a journal, something to leave a legacy for my grandkids. Should something ever happen to me and just my passion and why I became a coach um, my dad was a coach. He's deceased. And um, the love I had for the game, I was a huge – I know you're in Oklahoma, so don't hold this against me, but I was a huge Tom Osborne fan, huge Cornhusker fan. Had some family play at Nebraska. A lot of friends play at Nebraska. So growing up, the, we would drive – we wouldn't go to KU or K-State games. We would go to Nebraska games. And uh, been to tons of Nebraska games. But I wanted to write all of this down and preserve why I became a coach. Well, in doing so, I got really close to my pastor at my church became an elder in my church. And one day we were, I wouldn't call it a counseling session, but I started meeting with him one-on-one privately. Just, I needed that other mentorship from another man and uh, outside of the coaching world, just someone that could pour into my spirit. And uh, I, he said something to me that was prophetic. He said, every Monday, this is my pastor, every Monday I write my resignation letter. And I went, what? And he said, he said, yeah, I'm just so burnt out from the previous week and then leading up to Sunday. And it's a mega church or 5,000 members in it. I'm just so blown away of, of, his, of his transparency and being honest. So I began to take what pastors deal with. They shepherd a flock. They have to win on Sunday. We have to win on Friday. They have a lot of hurting congregation. They have a lot of people that don't trust. 
the system or trust the faith. We have a lot of hurting kids that need guidance, um, very similar qualities. Um, he's, it's a business for him. It's a business for me. And then I think some people outside the world of religion, they show up on Sunday and they think everything should be smooth and should be perfect and that there shouldn't be any issues, but there really is behind the scenes. And so I kind of parallel the two. And then we started talking about the history of coaching, you know, and, and Tony's really good about explaining this. I'm going to let him explain the aggregate part of it, but yeah, go ahead. I'll yeah. let you do that. Well, and so, yeah, just to throw that in there, we, we saw that when you look back through history, um, we, we moved from a pivotal time in, in American history and really globally when we moved from the, uh, an agrarian age where we were uh, farming, primarily most people lived in rural areas where they were growing up on farms um, and doing uh, agricultural type jobs. When we moved from that into an industrial age, you saw a massive change in society and culture. And primarily the biggest change was no longer were uh, sons and daughters growing up uh, waking up every day and going to work out on the land with dad and, or mom. Uh, but now they were going into the city. They were getting bust into the city. They were getting bust into school. You start to see education birth uh, as it is, you know, today. And then um, you, you, we saw a divide uh, of now dad goes to work. Maybe dad even goes to work in the city. Kids go to the, the school. And then you see, uh, consequently so, that there's an importance now put on not only teachers, but the coaches. And so sports, education, they're all, they've always been tied, tied, tied together. And uh, we just saw that there was uh, right there in that history, the, at, right at that turn of the, the uh, agricultural age, the industrial, you start to see the prevalence and the importance of a coach as trying to be, in a lot of ways, a surrogate parent when the parent is now away um, at work or still at home when the kid's now separated. So we, we talk about that in the book, and I think that's something that's, that's really unique to our book. And, yeah, and, and, and you really, mandatory schooling, Newt, the great Newt Rockne coined the term juvenile delinquent. And what he meant by that was a lot of these boys in particular were leaving the schoolhouse. Dad was still at work. Mom might still be home. And they were getting in trouble, and they had nothing. So sport becomes, like he said, prevalent. And I've always said that, you know, three things unite boys, and more importantly, you know, the military, athletics, and prison. And so – you know, one of those isn't good, and the other one's pretty pretty hard, too. I mean, for me, it was really easy for me to choose athletics versus joining the military. Nothing against the military. I have a lot of respect for the military, but our point was that. So, and, and then fast forward to COVID. So here we are, COVID, and I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I, you don't know me from Adam, but there was, I'm a tremendous confident guy, but there was a lot of self-doubt in here about a book. Like, who are you? Okay, yeah, you've done some nice things, but you're just a high school coach. Like, nobody gives a rip about you writing a book. And so I shelved it and didn't really mess with it. And then COVID hits, and we're on the patio, literally on the patio, smoking a cigar one night, just father-son, talking about life, talking about football, just talking. And he says, Dad, why don't you revisit the book, and why don't you reach out to some coaches and some pastors and some athletic directors, some NFL players you've coached, and see if they want to write a contributing essay to the book. So the book is in four quarters, like a, like a game. And the fourth quarter slash overtime is uh, the additional essays from some really important people um, that had a lot to say on what we believed in. And so we added that at the end. So it's not just our voices. It's the voices of some other people that I think um, people like yourself and others will find unique. Love it, Coach. I think it's it sounds like a, a cool deal. I mean, and again, I think when you break it up into things like quarters and overtimes, you know, it makes it a little bit more uh, digestible. 
Um, I'm actually a huge Husker fan too. So, you know, I didn't take it the wrong way at all. I actually went to school there. So uh, you, you piqued my interest, but uh, I'm interested to hear, you know, you know, being maybe a Husker guy kind of growing up and, and having that faith background, I would imagine a guy like Tom Osborne was probably, you know, a, a pretty good influence in, in your life, or at least, you know, either you know, reading his book or meeting him or interactions with the guy. I know I had, I had the opportunity to sit and listen to him a few times and it was phenomenal. So I'm kind of interested to hear, you know, maybe some of your inspiration or, or things from Coach Osborne. So, yeah, he's in the book. Um, and I, a really cool side piece is Ryan Held, the current running backs coach at Nebraska, uh, is a high school teammate of mine. We, we're, we're, we, we grew up together, too. So um, Ryan is going to put this book in his hand in about a week. I'm so honored. And hopefully I'll get a, a picture with Coach. We gave, one, we gave one to Ryan and we're sending one to Coach. But, yeah, we talk about him a lot. Uh, yes, obviously, uh, there are so many young men from my high school that went to Nebraska. I've named a couple. And, and you know, Brian Carpenter, who played in the late 80s, was fullback, uh, a neighbor of ours, dear friend, um, and on and on and on. And just the list goes on. So growing up, I wanted to be – listen, my first college football season that I really watched as a child was that 83 Cornhusker team that lost the national championship going for two against Miami. And I mentioned in the book, not to give too much away, uh, I was probably nine, ten years old. I cried that night. My dad let me stay up and watch the game. I was in tears because good should conquer evil. Miami was arrogant and they were just brash. And my dad didn't like them. And, and he told me how bad they were and how badly behaved they were. And they weren't supposed to win that game. If you remember, they were like, you know, 21 point dogs in that game and they upset them. And I talk about that turning a switch in my head where I wanted to be Tom Osborne. He was so graceful, is graceful. I too have met him a couple of times. Um, uh, just, I could never, I could never be him. I've fallen short too many times in my life to, to be him. But yeah, uh, his, his faith, I've read all his books, his faith and his mindset were something I always wanted to be. There'll never be another Coach Osborne. Coach, what did you think about that decision? So I didn't, I hadn't been around for that game. Well, it actually was just on a podcast a few episodes ago uh, that a coach came on, uh, made fun of me for have, have never heard, hearing about that game, um, and and he gave kind of his thoughts on going for it. What are your thoughts if you're in that same situation? Uh, you can tie the game and and be called, you know, technically national champions, uh, or you can go for it and go for the win. Where, where are you at on, in that decision-making? In that day and time, you had to go for the win, in my mind. There was no overtime, you know, and so it was win or be tied. And I think if you have any kind of uh, experience in this game, it, you play the game to win. And so I find no fault now as a 9-, 10-year-old, I wanted him to kick it <laughs> and get the national. I, want, I wanted to have the T-shirts and the national championships. And, you know, I, I wanted that for, for my fandom, if you will. But, uh, yeah, no, look, as an adult now, there's no doubt. I have a T-shirt I wear. I should have wore it. I didn't know you guys were had any kind of – I have a T-shirt that said, Real Men Go for Two, and it's got Osborne's face on it. And uh, it's funny. It, I've been a special teams coordinator at a lot of places, and I, I run special teams where I'm at now. We, go, we have a swinging gate. We go for two every time we score, and it's unique. Nobody's ever seen it, and I've got about 20 things I do out of it, and we're sitting at about 80% the last two years were success. So. I'll go for two. <laughs> and it's, it's, I think it's born out of Tom's mindset, even though he went, he ran an offensive play to Jeff Smith that night. But yeah, that, uh, that's things you go back. If you watch that game, Irving Fryer 
drops a wide open pass in the end zone in the fourth quarter in his hands. He, that, that wins the game. They, they don't have to go for two, but uh, I don't know. They said, a lot of people used to say Irving fired through the game because it literally went right through his hands, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, Anthony, so what about that... you, man? What's up about that game? Yeah, what would you have done? Would you have gone for two? Oh, yeah, definitely, for sure. Yeah, I think you had to. Hey, tell, tell Brady what your brother, who your brother's named after. He's got a brother. Yeah, my, my brother's uh, 14 months younger than me. His name's Frazier, named after Tommy Frazier, so – there you that, go, man. Brady, does that give you a little illustration? <laughs> I, I I would say you're a, you're a hashtag GBR guy. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed of Mr. Frazier these days, but that's okay. <laughs> ah, it happens. Yeah. So, Coach, talking about, you know, that kind of piques my interest a little bit, um, going for two and, and being able to do that 80% of the time, how much – is that a large section of your practice that you guys have to put into that to, to get that done? Um, does that – have you done any stats? Obviously, an extra point every time you score has got to be a huge marker. Have, have you yeah. gone in, dug in, and, and look at how much more successful that, that made you start going for two? Um, well, I think it's really interesting. And, and obviously, there's a team up in Arkansas that, you know, never punts and goes for two all the yep. time. and. And, and talks about that a lot. So just kind of curious, you know, how that came about or, or what happened with that? Well, I was at a powerhouse called Duncanville. As you guys know, Duncanville's been in the state championship the last two years. And um, when I, I was there, we had great players too. They lost to them in the third round of the playoffs this year. But um, Duncanville, probably one of the top two programs in the state of Texas. But when I was at Duncanville, our head coach asked me as a special teams coordinator, he said, I want to be different. I want to be aggressive. So I, I was replacing a guy that actually had been a Division One coach himself at TCU. We were friends, and I was replacing him. He was retiring, and he was a traditional shield punter. He was always by the book the way the extra point is done. And by no means, I want, we'll kick extra points, you know, if the, if the numbers call for it. But I'm going to go for two pretty much, you know, depending on how much we score, I'm going to go for two almost every time. I mean, if, there's, if we're up, we got in a game this year where we were up, 45 to nothing and I'm not going to sit there and go for two and rub it in we'll kick at that point so yeah there are some times where we have to do that but I shield punt now and I always much like we're talking about with the two-point play out of my shield I will run a fake at some point in the game because I want it on film and uh, I talked to a really successful coach down here named Bill Elliott out of Salina Texas um, if you've seen the Kenny Chesney video uh, boys of fall it's all about Salina but we played them at one of my previous jobs, and he told me, he said, these are garbage plays, and you make me have to prepare for them every day, and I hate it. But that resonated with me that I'm gonna, I've run so many fakes, I've, I've run so many swinging gate plays, I'll line up in the middle of the field and run one of my swinging gate plays. So it's not, it's a tra it's not the traditional gate, I do a lot of junk with it. And so, you know, for me, more than anything, the reason I came about was I wanted to be different, I wanted the kids to have something to rally behind. If you came to my practice, I'm at an urban school, inner city school. Every stinking kid in my program begs me to be on punt, and we call it Gator, the two-point play. Every kid, Coach, can I get on, uh, on Rangers, Rangers punt? Can I get on Gator? Please, Coach, let me, let me be a part of that. So what I've done inadvertently by making this fun is everybody in my program wants to be a part of punt and wants to be a part of, of that, and I think that's huge. They want to be on special teams. Um, so practice wise, five minute period every day and that's it. So it, we just, we make it, we make it an important thing and it goes. And so every day they do it for five minutes and 
I try to go into the game with about three versions of that gate. I got you. Yeah, that, that's that's what it seems like to me is the the worst part about it, at least looking at it from a, an opposing team, is it takes so much time, especially if you guys are the only ones do not the only ones, but one of the few doing it. Um, we've got to spend real time to get ready for – uh, what you guys are doing, and so I'm, I'm assuming, uh, obviously, that's a huge benefit for you guys, um, as well as scoring, scoring an extra point every time you score a touchdown. So um, uh, it's really yeah. interesting, and, and love, you know, obviously stealing any points you can. Um, there, there they go, Coach. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got, I got three as well. I saw in your mirror back there uh, one of your black labs was getting off the bed or something. I got uh, I got a black got, lab. I just got a, a golden retriever, um, and I've got a little I don't know whatever little poodle something tiny mix <laughs> that my wife has. We have two full blood you know papers and the whole deal black labs, and then I've got a twelve year old lab shepherd mix, and he thinks he's tougher than he is, but he's <laughs> he's a good guy. They are they're awesome. So yeah. so how does that how does that work? Obviously, there for a while, and I think it's probably lightened up a little bit, but faith in, in school was like, you're not allowed to talk about it. You're almost not allowed to say, you know, that you even have faith. For a while, it was really, really on edge to even talk about it at all. And I think it's loosened up a little bit, even to where I think in college at times we were, you know, the, the coach isn't supposed to pray, but technically the kids could pray, but the coach can't. And, and Coach Sumlin and, and Coach Levine never really – they always led the prayer and, and, you know, it was never an issue with that. But how did you, I don't want to say get around because that's not the right word. How do you go about that? How do you go about trying to lead in faith? Because I think that's the, that's the toughest thing um, because you don't want to step on any toes. You don't want to do something that's going to get you fired from your job. But also, yeah. you know, if you, if you are a believer and you do you have faith, then you also think it's extremely important to help lead, you know, young men into that. That's a great question, and I think every every place has to handle it differently, and I think every place I've worked handles it differently. Um, where I'm at now, I do a lot of times, you know, we always bring it up at the end of practice, much like I'm sure you guys do. I always believe in praying out, um, and so what we'll do when we pray out is I usually do say that. I say, does anybody want to lead us in prayer? I've had coaches do it, players do it. If no one speaks up, I do it. And it's never a long, drawn-out thing. A few kids will ask me to pray for something, and we do it. And I haven't gotten in trouble. And maybe that's not a great answer for you, but I feel like in today's world, if I'm not real, if I'm not who I am, and I make a lot of mistakes. But, see, I talk about that with our kids. If I slip up, I tell them I slipped up. I own it. Uh, I couldn't maybe have done that 15 years ago in my coaching career. I'm 47 now. So I own it, and that's a big part of who I am now. I'm going to own it. I'm going to coach them hard. They're disciplined. Uh, they understand that when I get on the grass, I'm after their, you know, put your word in there. And so when we get out there, it's going to be an intense moment, and I have high expectations for the work ethic that needs to be taken care of out there. But when we're done, we pray it out. Um, it's been weird. This two years that we've been at WT White, I've had more kids come into my office privately and emotionally break down crime, family issues, just history, whatever it might be that they're dealing with. And it's funny, I'll say, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with God? And most of them don't. And so that's when I have an opportunity to say, hey, this is what I do when I feel like this. 
And so I'm able to relate that way. And I feel like that's my responsibility. Um, uh, you know, there's just, there's just a way I think we're called to, to do that, do that. We talk about that in the book, you know, we bring it up a lot. We say, you know, not every, there was a book years ago. If you guys can find it, you should get your hands on it. It's called not everybody's or make the big time where you are is by an author named Frosty Western, legendary D3 coach, make the big time where you are. Well, we took a turn. We took that turn and flipped it. And we said, not everybody's big time. Cause there was a time when myself can't speak for him myself. It was all about being the next Dennis Francione. I took jobs every two years flip. I had to be the next D one guy had to be the court and it was fast track. And what I realized I would either lose a job or leave a job too soon. And you look back and regret. And I was realizing I was not making the big time where I was. It was all about me as you, as you mentioned. And so as I've come to this revelation about myself, really in the last five years of my career, I've always loved my kids. I always have relationship with kids. I ran into one the other day. Uh, I was up at Tarleton visiting and here's a former player comes up and hugs me and I didn't know he was there. And uh, I've always been there for my kids in my mind, but now it's become such an intentional mindset that I'm going to be a holy example with my walk. I'm going to try to be an example. I'm going to try to be a light in a dark world. And I'm not going to shy away from letting them know, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian. This is what I believe in. Because I'm a Christian, sometimes I fail. And because I fail, I have grace by, by Jesus. And that's, that's what you have, too. And with what's going on in today's world, obviously, the culture, great, give me a great example. I, I don't know what he did. I called all my players of uh, African descent yesterday and just told them I loved them and that I wanted to be there for them and listen to them. I called 22 uh, kids on my football team because we weren't allowed to be around them until June 8th, and I just couldn't let this go on anymore. And while it's cool to put things on Twitter or Instagram, having that dialogue one-on-one -on -one is so important. And so uh, that's what I did yesterday afternoon is make a lot of phone calls and have a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations is tell the kids I miss them, that I love them, and that God loves them, and that things are going to get better. Coach, you, you talked about being open with, you know, past failures or, or ways that you have come up short with the kids. Is that something that you've always been open to talk to your kids about? Or are you pretty, I mean, with your players, uh, is that something that you're pretty much an open book throughout? Uh, is that things that you choose to say and not to? I think that's another big, um, you know, it's always a, a thing to weigh, I think, as a coach is, um, you want to be honest. You want to tell the kids where we've messed up and, and maybe even, you know, where a mess up has, has led us to a better place. Um, but also, you know, to, to put all of your business or some of your business out there is, is you know, it's a question as well. So how have you gone about that? Is that, has that a, have you always been, uh, you know, putting some of those failures out to your kids? I think so. I think I've always been transparent with them. I think it's increased with age because I do – feel the need to have that connectality with those guys, um, especially the current climate of kid that I'm coaching now. So absolutely, I think that being transparent, I'm a cooperative style coach, not a command style coach. I certainly have moments where you have to be a command style, but I mean, I have a leadership committee. I have a leadership group that meets with me every week. I listen to them. I implement their programs if they fit our philosophy, if they fit our culture. And so I, I really try to give them a lot of ownership. So yeah, I would answer that question. Yeah, I've always been an open book. Um, when I, what, what I was getting at more than anything with my, you know, when I was younger, I think there was a sense of 
I tried to be someone I wasn't, you know, I, I again, I use Dennis, nothing against him. I love the man. I tried to be him. And, uh, and I think he would tell you that that old school, you know, guys that are in their late fifties, sixties, like he played for McCarney. Um, I know Tony Levine, you played for Tony. I've met coach Sumlin, but I don't really know him. I know Tony a little bit better. Um, you know, you know, being a D one guy and he, he knows sometimes you get there and it's very hostile and there's some language, there's some colorful language that's used. And right. I really don't, I really don't know that that is always the heart of the coach that's saying that. I think that's a lot of pressure that's put on them to win a lot of pressure that's put on them from maybe their head coach. And when I left TCU and places like a and Kingsville, they were hostile environments, honestly. And there were times when I would get out of character and say things that later I would look at myself in the mirror and go, God, that's not you. That's not who you want to be. And so fast forward to now, I'd probably say since about 2008 or nine, when we came back down to Texas, I, I put all that away. I'm not that guy. I'm here to love kids and, and show kids uh, that, that they, they deserve a better life. And I'm going to help kids get to college and help kids have be successful. And you can be intense without being vulgar and, and, and uh, antagonizing. I think that message is so important. And again, I, I kind of go back to like what you were talking about with, you know, being able to share your faith. Uh, again, you know, we're not impressing it on anyone. We're not telling them what to do. We're just kind of telling your personal story, you know, and, and I think, you know, what, what better way to do that than to talk about, yeah, the mistakes we've made, but also to talk about here, here's kind of a great blueprint for you to live your life, you know, choose two or three of these things and it should lead you on a pretty good path. You know, I'm not telling you what church to join. I'm not telling you, you know, where you got to go, where to spend your money, any of that stuff. I'm just sharing with you a few things that have made my life better. And I think it's probably going to help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we offer, we go just much like you guys. We offer FCA. We do coaches outreach for our coaches. Um, we do a coaches retreat and we try to bring some spirituality in there. Um, it, it goes everywhere. I, I, as I've gotten older, Again, part of the reason I wrote this book was not only the legacy to leave behind for my kids, but I want to help coaches. I want to help coaches get off that, what we call the performance wheel in our book. You know, I'll give you a great example, and you guys will, I think, will appreciate this. I'm on a Bible study with a bunch of coaches uh, every Tuesday night. It's all in sports. I'm sure you've seen it on, on Twitter, and it's phenomenal. It's, it's just been great. And a lot of times, I'm not calling anyone out, Guys will get on there and they'll say, man, I need more followers or I need more of this or I need more followers. And I cringe when I hear that because I've, I've been that guy. I'm like, well, how come he got this or how come I didn't get this? Or, you know, and what we talked about in our book was the performance wheel will destroy you. And, you know, 20 years ago, Brady, if I took a picture of my wife, it was with a phone. I'm not a phone. It was with a camera that had to be developed. What I took is what I got. And you might wait two, three, four days before you got that film back, right? And the picture might be blurry, might be bad. There was no adjusting it. That was the picture. Now, our kids, our coaches, they take a picture. Oh, I don't like it. I didn't look good. You know, go ask your wife to take a selfie. And if she doesn't like it, she's going to go, she's going to delete it. She's going to get the lighting changed. She's going to put a filter on it. And she's going to make a picture that is desirable to her to place out there in social media. And I say, I'll have to say this, is we've got a lot of coaches that are not making the big time where they are. We have a lot of coaches chasing the performance wheel of what they perceive is out there as great. And I don't judge someone's glory until you know their story. 
and God has a purpose for everybody. And I have a hard time. I'm, I'm preaching that to you and preaching that to me because I've had, he knows this. I've had maybe seven, eight interviews for D one jobs in my lifetime. Didn't get a single one of them. Um, and they, these were jobs I could tell you would, would have changed my life financially, maybe career wise, but God keeps putting me in small colleges and high schools. And I'm finally getting to a point where, yeah, I'd love to go do that again. I'd love to go to TCU. I'd love to go to Houston. I'd love to go to KU. I mean, we interviewed, I interviewed at KU two years ago. That's Miles first got hired. I mean, I, I got a phone call. I'm from Kansas. It was not a Phil Bennett, defense coordinator at Baylor, longtime coach. We're dear friends. Phil called Coach Miles and said, you need a Kansan who knows Texas. Here's your guy. I didn't get the job. And I think sometimes coaches, young coaches in particularly, I caution him about this all the time, be, be, be where your feet are, learn as much as you can, serve your head coach, pray about it. And if that's what is going to happen for you, then it's going to happen for you uh, because that's your plan. But it's, it's easier said than done. I get it. But part of the therapy of, of that is what was writing this book to help grown men and you know, understand that there's a process to this. Be patient. Is that something you think that, and, and maybe Anthony, it's a, it's a good question for you too, but is that something that, that you can fully learn from the book or is that something that you, you kind of learn as you go um, through your life and, and through, obviously you can learn part of it from a book, but um, I, I guess I'm kind of coming at you with, with two questions. Obviously there's a, there's a part where you've got to learn that in life. And then Anthony, do you have that want to, you know, obviously climb the ladder, become a head coach, go be a college coach sometime um, that, that it seems like a lot of people do, or uh, is that something that through the principles of this book that, that you haven't had that notion or you've had that notion and, and kind of through these principles, it's settled that down. How, how has that worked, you know, for you starting off in coaching? Yeah. Well, I'd say with the book, we, we tried to almost at the end of every chapter put three to five practical things that you could do. And sometimes they're not even actions. They're just perspective changes to uh, help you do more of that, to see more of that in your life. So um, I, I think you can get that from the book. We tried to do that with the book, but, um, and then I would say for me personally, yeah, I mean, I that thought runs across my mind, you know, and like, you know, trying to be a, trying to get on the, I get the, I guess like the rat wheel to try to be a head coach as soon as possible. Um, but I found myself, I mean, it's, it's not anything that I really have to battle with. I, I, I don't know why I, I think, why I do know why it's because of these principles and these fundamentals that we talk about in this book. Um, have kind of been instilled in me through him and, and just and I grew up in every field house that he was in so in a lot of ways well that's what's cool about like how we were all talking about at the beginning having dads that are coaches their career is almost like a prologue to your career uh, in a lot of ways so um, yeah I, I found myself very content with where I'm at I, I was I'm extremely blessed and lucky to be at the school that I'm at and this is being one of my first major jobs so um, I don't I don't really find myself battling too hard on wanting to just take off and uh, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty content. So, um, but yeah, you could definitely, I, I would hope, I mean, I, I think we uh, accomplished what we set out to do and that's, I think it's still that uh, or, or challenge your perspectives a bit with the book. So. Yeah. And I would, you know, to, to piggyback on that, I do think you can still learn that. Mm -hmm. um, Cause again, I'm 47 and I still have moments and it's different. It's like, okay, so now it might be, I see a guy that I come up, came up with and he's a, uh, 
district athletic director of a high school of seven high schools. And, and I go, well, I can do that. Why, why, why hasn't God opened that door for me? <laughs> you know, and, you're, and then you have to catch yourself and go, whoa, 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 whoa. You are where you need to be. I'm by no means complaining about what I do. And, and I take my job very seriously. But, yeah, I, I, can I say go something? ahead. Absolutely. I, I would say and I've just been trying to – now that I'm in the coaching world and I love it, I try to observe coaches and think, you know, we're all just naturally – we wouldn't be in the sport at all if we weren't. We're all just naturally so competitive. And so I think at the root of all this – what my dad was just saying was it's very, very hard, especially with how social media is today and how, uh, how easily we can see where everybody else is at right now. That's very uh, easy to compare yourself to others. And I think that might be at the root of that engine that might drive you to be hopping jobs, you know, every two years. And so if you can take a step back, I mean, which is easier said than done in today's world, especially. I know I've fallen short of that. With, I mean, it's so easy to get on social media and see someone living the dream uh, immediately. So, you know, like, crap where am I at right now so um yeah just and, 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 and my pastor who like I said runs a major church here in the Metroplex he said the same thing he's not an athletic person but he said the same thing he was like well I, I watch TD Jakes or I watch Pastor Tony Evans on TV or what and I think why can't I do that and I'm going what you you think that and it blew it blew me away I mean this is a pastor who's got this great church and He's got a fancy car, fancy house, life seems great. He's got to get out there on stage. He can't ever be depressed. And that's just not reality. I mean, we're all human. We are all human. We all need Christ. We all need a Savior. Um, one thing that was said to me, you know, probably four or five years ago was, Tony, grow up. He's not coming back to do it again. And I was like, what do you mean? He's not coming back. You either believe he did it or he didn't. So quit pouting and moping about your life and about things you've done in the past holding you back. Because I would. I would tell my wife, I'd be like, you know, maybe I didn't get that job because God's mad. I, I uh, yelled at a kid in 1998. And she'll be like, I really don't think God cares right now. You've been forgiven. And so, you know, we, I have a great wife who will, you know, kind of slap me around and set me straight when I start to veer off. I think, you know, to piggyback off of both those things, and maybe I'm off base, but the big thing that I've always seen probably in myself, and I'm sure I put that on everyone else, is a, a big ego problem um, in probably football in general. And I think it's something that, at least, again, speaking personally, served me very well playing while I was playing, um, not – now, if I would have been knocked down a little bit, it probably would have been even better. But it seems to serve you very well as you're a football player. Um, it, it's hard to break that, um, and, and it's something that we've talked about a lot. But uh, especially ego was my biggest hurdle, um, and it seems as if you're either going to humble yourself or, or you'll be humbled. Um, and I think that uh, coaches, like you guys said, most of them are former football players. They're all very competitive. I think one of the biggest fights we have uh, as football coaches is is that ego and is thinking that we can get it all. We, we can get it done. Um, we don't have to ask for help from a higher power to get that done. That that we can get it figured out um, and that we've got it. And uh, it, it takes you know sometimes a, a a huge sign to show that that no you don't or um, it, it kind of takes you being able to humble yourself. Absolutely. No doubt. You know, at the end of your life, you know, you're going to stand before God and 
he's he's going to ask you, you know, <laughs> you know, he's going to ask you some questions. I really believe this. And if you say, oh, well, you know, I prepared my players for life after football. That's what it was all about. And I made a great, well, did you prepare him for eternity? And then, you know who told me that was Chris Melson. And Chris Melson is in my book. He's that Mansfield legacy. Played at OU. He's an Oklahoma Sooner. Uh, back in the glory days of Barry Switzer. And he said that to me one time, and that blew me away. That's exactly why my mission now is, okay, I do want to prepare you for life after high school, but I also have a responsibility to prepare you for life after life, like eternity, <laughs> making sure you get there. That's exactly, uh, you know, exactly right, Coach. Well, um, you know, kind of rolling up on it now, um, kind of towards the end of the podcast, but uh, before, before we let both of you guys go, the thing that we always like to ask guys is, uh, and it's a little bit off off subject, I think, but um, when you're watching another team and you're watching their offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Five bricks, one wall. I'm a zone guy. have been an inside-outside zone guy since I came up. Jim McNally, Juan Castillo, those are my guys. Um, if, that, if that footwork and that aggressiveness is all – in tune and working together, it's something beautiful. Uh, I'm going to run the ball. Um, we are multiple. My offensive coordinator is big into the RPOs, which are so popular now. But there's a lot of times I'm screaming into that headphone, gosh, darn it, run the dadgum ball. You know, and uh, so for me, when the five of those guys are moving in unison and just physically dominating, I use the words intimidate and dominate. I think you can do that at that position. I want someone that's going to be nasty. I look for nastiness as an offensive lineman, and that's what I preach, and that's what we get after. Um, we want you to be working uh, to the echo of the whistle, baby, all the way down the field. Do not take a playoff. And um, I coach offensive line. I always have coached offensive line, and it irks me when I see a coach. You know, they might run counter to the right, or they might run, you know, as a quarterback Cheetos, what I call, or quarterback power, and then the left tackle is lazy, and they're in practice, and they don't coach it. And so, uh, as an O-line guy, it's, I, I'm not – the O-line coach for me is not happy because I watch that stuff. And if he's not coaching all five, he's in trouble. And I tell people this, too. It's the most undercoached position in all of football is the offensive line. It really is. Because you don't walk down the hallway of your school duck walking. You don't kick slide pass set all the way to science class. <laughs> You're using muscles, you know, that are unique. A quarterback, when he throws the football, he'll return to normal, upright. A running back, if he doesn't get the ball, he'll step up in the pocket, he'll return to normal. A receiver, once he runs his route, the ball doesn't come to him, he returns to normal. But in that four to six second football play, an offensive lineman is on the ground, cutting, crabbing, crawling, engaged in contact, rolling his hips, kicking backwards. His muscle groupings do something that's not normal. And he's the only guy on the field that never returns to normal. So I look for stuff like that. I'm, I look for skinny ankles. My wife thinks I'm weird. Big guys, long arms, big hands, skinny ankles. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, Anthony, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I've got a dad still coaching, uh, and I'm coaching. And I think, you know, he's the best offensive line coach in the state. Um, but obviously, I don't agree with everything on him. Uh, what's, what's the big, what's the big football thing out right now? I'm sure, you know, I'm sure if you're anything like, like me and my dad, you know, we get together and, um, we don't hardly talk about 
much, but the grandkids, you know, we talk about the grandkids and then we talk football and, oh, well, how are you guys running this? How are you doing this? What do you think about this? Um, and we're in line on a lot of stuff, but there's some things that I'm like, well, no, that's not the way to do it. This is the way to do it. A lot of times I keep it to myself. So now putting you on the spot, what's some thing, what's something that, that you're, you disagree with dad on that, that you would use that, that he doesn't do? I don't, I, we, I'm not, I'm not trying to avoid any type of, uh, I, I love the fashion with them. I mean, we don't disagree on much. I mean, he's pretty, um, I'm trying to think schematically. I, I feel like, you know, you, you give a lot of your really good uh, head coach to your OC and your DC and so, I don't micromanage. Them. Yeah. There's no micromanagement there. I mean, I, I would really say, and it's not even so much as a disagreement, but I feel like a strength and conditioning is like a passion of mine. And, and so our street coach at Martin's really good and him and I are kind of collaborating on a lot of stuff and learning together. And so it's not even really a disagreement, but it's more so a coming to him and saying, Hey, this is, this is what's on the cutting edge right now, strength and training. Like, <laughs> this is, this is what's, um, you know, Hey, like, you know, Christian McCafferty's trainer. I, I watched his, I was in a zoom conference with him for an hour and a half and he's doing some crazy stuff, you know, and crazy in the sense of like, it would make, old school coaches like this man uh, uncomfortable in the sense of like right. you know you yeah. know three by three of reps and then you're resting for three minutes solid you know it's like the work to rest <laughs> ratio so it's it's and but that's not even really a disagreement it's more because he's always down to like learn something new so uh, yeah. we, we disagree more on jordan and lebron and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> Football. yeah well i mean i spend a lot of time trying to stay on the cutting edge and i have two really good middle-aged young coordinators that uh, they're always evolving. I've, I've never been, even when I was a college head coach, I coached the O-line and I was just, I'm going to be old school with the way I, you know, the way we get in our stance, the way we kick slide. I, I, I go back and forth. So many guys vertical set, so many, you know, and this and that, and where your hand placement is and lifting up when you punch and on and on and on. And, and I, I've learned a lot over the last few years where I've changed, but, you know, there are some hard truths that I just can't let go of. Yeah. Do you, do you guys take pretty good advantage of, you know, this, this COVID time to really kind of branch out and learn some new things? Oh. I know that was the biggest thing for me. What were, you know, maybe one or two things you guys kind of took away from the break? Cause I know it's going to probably be beneficial. Man, just, I, well, there's some spiritual things too, but on football wise, you know, for me getting on zooms with, you know, he played for a guy named Lewis Carrello. He played for Lewis Carella, strength coach at Georgia Tech, and getting on Zooms and, and like he talked about, what are they doing to lift and, and things like that. And then I've been on with uh, Van Malone at K-State, you know, and, and, and him. And then, of course, you guys know Zach Kelly. You've had him on the show, I think, and out of Cedar Hill. I got Zach that job. I was at Cedar Hill for about three months. Carlos and I, I was the O-line coach for three months before I got this job. So I had every intention of helping Cedar Hill out. But, um, you know, I, I talked to a lot of coaches just like this format right here and sharing ideas. I did the uh, – we do one. I can't think of the podcast now, but it wasn't a podcast. It was a Zoom clinic. I did two of them on special teams. And then just listening to the other guys he brings on, you know, that were offensive coordinators and, and defense coordinators. So that kind of stuff's been great. I've been on four or five different Bible studies every week via Zoom. Uh, so filling my my spiritual side, and then of course early on, we were meeting with our players constantly via Zoom um, and doing those things. So I would say COVID, while COVID has hurt a lot of you're going to come out of this thing with a lot of babies or a lot of divorces, <laughs> you know, all being trapped in your home with your wife and your kids. 
Um, I chose to look at how can I get better and just as a human being and, and as a coach. Yeah, I would say from a football athletic standpoint, it's definitely been, I've learned a lot strength conditioning wise, just, um, just how to, how to best, I'm trying to learn how to best get kids ready for Friday night. And, um, you know, and there's a lot of science coming out that's catching up with how best to practice and how best to, um, uh, you know, train, train for high, high performance activity. And uh, Tony Holler's a guy, it's, it's called Feed the Cats. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but yeah, that's stuff. some good stuff. And we're fun, we're, we're putting that as a fundamental implement into our school right now. And been telling you about that as well. And then yesterday, uh, was it yesterday? We have the days. Yesterday we drove to Charlton State. And Rod Cole, the strength coach there, was the strength coach at A&M and the strength coach uh, for Bill Schneider for 20-plus years at K-State. And they were the first college back to start with their kids. So he had 60, 70 football players on the football field, and they're going eight days with no weights, just an hour and a half of – they were 10 feet apart on the – it was awesome. 10 feet apart. They had strength coaches in a circle all the way around these 70 kids. And they were just doing, you know, you know, hip mobility, ankle mobility, side by side lunges, you know, hopping lines, up and down jumping jacks, a lot of aerobic type stuff, but a lot of stretching. Um, and I, afterwards, we got to talk to him, and he said, he said, TJ, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to. We're trying to win in August, not June. So it was awesome to see that, and the procedures that they had. And I'm, I'm not so sure that, and I mean, I'm, I am sure that's we are as a staff going to do something very similar at our school. They, they do a lot of different stuff than we do. They have an indoor, you know, they have a little more at room than we do. That's funny. You mentioned, you mentioned Coach Holler. Um, me and Coach Walls are, are, you know, pretty close with, with Coach Holler on, on what he's been doing. Um, we've, we've been to his, um, we've been to his uh, summits or, or whatever his in-person thing that he had, his last one in Missouri before they shut it down. Consortium, Harper. Consortium. That's <laughs> awesome. Coach Walls is, is in it a little bit more than me, but, but I'm kind of curious, in, and I think he could probably talk about it for a while, um, but the big thing that has switched with me is the need of conditioning, I think, um, that I think I've always bought into as a lineman because I was, I was the – the big guy that worked really hard that he talks about and makes fun of that wasn't the athlete. Um, and so <laughs> I always thought I had to work hard and, and be in shape and, and all that good stuff. But it, I'm really excited for this summer to see, you know, if, if we always talk about, you got to play football to be in football shape. Well, can we, can we take some time to not have to run, you know, over and backs or hundred yards or can we could, could we cut all that out, work on sprinting and then, you know, when football practices get here, get in shape through practicing football. Now we've, you know, saved our bodies and we've gotten better probably in the weight room, at least the way I see it, which is maybe a little different than the way Coach Holler does. But now we've gotten bigger in the weight room, we've gotten faster, and now leave the conditioning up to getting, in, you know, hopefully in condition by the first game, but for sure by the second, third game. You know, way back in 98 and 99, you know, Ben Pollard was our strength coach, still a dear friend. We didn't run after practice at TCU. And that was, I was odd to me because Dennis always said, if you're practicing at a high speed and high rate, you don't need to practice. You don't need to condition at the end. And I, that's the thing I always took from Dennis was his practice schedules were meticulous. They were organized. When that horn went, you were expected to sprint to the next station. There was no walking around. It was just such great organization. And I know you probably got some of the similar things where you were at, but 
we never ran, honestly. I, I've never seen a kid after football practice run a gasser when I was at TCU. Never. Yeah, uh, that's awesome you guys are big with Tony Hall as well. And then um, I don't know how you – I mean, getting on his Twitter would probably be good, but another guy that you guys should check out is Frank Wintrick. He's a strength oh, coach yeah. at UCLA. Um, he was my strength coach at UNT for two years. So I was lucky to have him and then another great strength coach in Lewis Corolla, which is he's, – he's in the book. Right? Yeah, Lewis in the book. Frank Wintrick, UCLA, he's got, he's on Twitter. Um, just another dude that's kind of doing that cutting edge, like work to rest ratio. And um, he's got heart monitors on every single kid during every single workout. And so they're, they're specifically trained to their, their individual, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Heartbeat in the sense of like uh, what's cardiovascular and what's, what's not. And so, uh, and then same kind of fundamental principles with practice as well. He's, it's everything's so fast. It's so fast paced and they don't even, something they do that Winter was able to convince them of was they're, they're not going to, um, there's not a lot of coaching done at practice. So pra they've actually cut practice time down. Reps are quick, quick, quick. If they make a mistake, they got it on film. They, they cut practice down. And so the kids, instead of leaving and going to eat and then coming back with film, they immediately right after they practice go up and watch film and then they correct there. They correct that night in the film room. So again, it's college, so it's kind of different, but um, same kind of mentality. So it's a good guy to check out too. I like it even from the aspect of, you know, I mean, I get a lot of guys aren't conditioning, you know, in practice. I'm, I'm even talking like in the summertime, we don't run our guys. Yeah. We did, we've done that actually for the last two years now, me being a, a receiver coach and our guys, you know, either multiple sport guys. So they're playing basketball, they're playing baseball, then they're playing football. I, I don't need to gut them. It's all about high performance. And, and I'm, you know, and to me that the whole gold standard of that has just become, you know, our 10 yard fly and our top speed. If you, if you, raise the top end when you get quote tired I'm still going to be faster in the fourth quarter so that's kind of been the the whole yeah. mentality around it and then not only that the kids the kids buy into it I mean it's like you know chasing a 300 pound bench or chasing a 500 pound squat now it's like I want to be a 23 mile per hour sprinter yes. and I think it just yeah. just gives those guys another metric where I'm in that club now I've got that extra gear I know that when it comes to the fourth quarter I'm still going to be faster than this guy so there's been We've seen a we've seen a huge huge shift in our entire athletic department. I mean, in fact, we just started summer baseball. Our baseball coach had us out, and we're teaching them sprinting, and we're and we're now timing them from home to first. So That's I mean, awesome. it's it's kind of it's kind of taken its course. So it's been a lot of fun getting into it, diving down that rabbit hole. Yeah, for sure. That's Bull, that, that, bullets that. bullets are faster than bowling balls. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, so. and they cause a lot more damage too. You got a yeah, fast explosion. You got a fast, explosive lineman, you know, he's going to cause a lot more damage when he makes that collision. So even our, even our linemen love it too. I mean, they, I feel fast. I feel explosive. You know, I, I feel like I could go do some of these things instead of, you know, Hey, I can bench press or squat a lot, Brady, but I can't move. <laughs> Brady, do you remember, did you ever read the assembly line by Milt Taniper and Dan Young? I did. Those two guys, I tell you what, I mean, the, the book was phenomenal, but it was awesome to finally, you know, meet those guys when they both retired. So they're kind yeah. of winning the game. And you'd run into Milt Tenniper like we'd be out shopping for furniture in Lincoln because I was living in Lincoln with my buddy for a while. And, you know, you'd run into Milt. You'd just sit there and talk for two hours. You know, and his yep. wife just be ragging on him. You know, Milt, we got to go. Oh, these are some good boys. These are good old boys here. We got to talk to these guys, you know. And then, rip, rip, rip reach and overtake, man. Yeah. Rip reach and overtake in, 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 in those combos. But he always – something, you know, he did that I always thought was cool was they never ran a 40 at Nebraska. The offensive lineman never ran 40 yards for time. It was always 20. 
And I asked him after a Nebraska coaches school, that big clinic they always used to have. And I said, why don't you guys ever run 40s? And he goes, if we run 40, somebody better be scoring. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah, they're saying usually one of them was – at least one of them was on the ground because he'd either pancaked a guy or he's cutting a guy too. I miss those days when guys were actually chopping and cut-blocking. I miss it all the time. I'm, I'm praying that Scott Frost will get this thing right. I really am. <laughs> Me too, man. And I just hope they keep giving him enough time. You know, it's a, it's a complete overhaul. So build it the yeah. right way. It's not like you could do it in the SEC where – God forbid, you know, you're, you're paying tens of thousands of dollars to guys. Not that they do that, but. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I'll, I'll say this. Frank Solich should have never been fired. You know, what that guy's done is amazing. Should have never been fired. Yep, he's done a heck of a job. He's, he's been there, shoot, a long time at Ohio. Yeah. Consistent, old consistency, man. That's a guy that wants to run the rock. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. Well, dudes, it's been a blast, man. That was a, a quick hour. I appreciate you guys coming on and, you know, wish you guys the best of luck with the, the book. I think the premise is awesome, and I think there's always something you can, you can pick up from things like that. You know, it's not just, quote, X's and O's. It's being a better dad, a better husband, and a better coach, which I would say that's kind of the goal for, for anything that we do on this planet. Hey, Amen. We let somebody else handle X's and O's and culture, and we'll handle the spirituality and coach. <laughs> so. Yeah, appreciate you, you for having us on honored and, and I love what you guys do and that's gonna do it for this episode of rtp we want to again thank all of our sponsors you guys make sure and go check them out help grow our community by telling other coaches about run the power and if you enjoy running the power go get your shirt long sleeve or hoodie at runthepower.com also if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast Simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram and you can find that at runthepower. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon. <laughs>